You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Did you think we were standing you up because I didn't send you an email on time, <laughs> Corinna? No, but I was worried because I just got off. Um, I just got off the call with TJ, and uh, oh, you did your friend TJ, and he's like, "Oh, I hear wow. you're going on the Running Public podcast." And I was like, "I'm actually doing it right now." So, <laughs> um, so I told him I had to had to go off in a jiffy, but yeah, yeah, Brack, and you know TJ, he's the he's oh, yeah. my buddy we we interviewed Shelf on the podcast. He was actually. He came to watch. I ran a race under the lights last night, and he came to watch. Which he's like, he's like a really good buddy that way. He's like my biggest fan. He's great. He said, um, "Yeah, he said he's always always feels pretty good about himself." And then, and then he goes and he said he watched you last night. He's like, "It's just another another level of speed." Yeah. Well, other guys made me feel that way, so I feel you, TJ. <laughs> mm. Well, it's good to see so you. We're- Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bracken asked me, what'd you ask me? You said, didn't we interview Corinna already? And I was like, no, you and Benny did, you asshole. <laughs> Not you and me. <laughs> Wait, that's right. It was, that was a long time ago. That was a really long time ago. What year was that? There's no way of knowing. <laughs> Probably four years ago. Yeah, at least. Five? Well, I'm honored to be back. <laughs> well, this one's going to be way better. For sure. So For that's sure. all I'm concerned about. Yeah. Where are you at? Are you in, you're in Utah, right? No. I so I've been bouncing all over since since I last kind of chatted with you guys. I'm in I'm in Louisiana right now. Why? My husband's um we're so this is a very the, hot time of the year to be in Louisiana. It is you know what, but I'm in I've honestly been embracing training here because I feel like if I can sweat it out in the humidity and heat of the summer here like it's got to transfer. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so we're here. I'm just, my, my husband's got an assignment here, um, for, for military stuff. So we're just, just for a year and then we'll probably be headed back to California at the end of the year. I worked with a guy, uh, Ben Bogart, if you ever listen, uh, out of Louisiana and of all the people I've worked with, he's probably like top four or five people where I look at them and think, I don't think I could train the way you train if I lived where you live. The other was, uh, one was in Dubai, and then the other two are, uh, one's Florida, one Texas. But Louisiana is just like all the heat we could ever imagine with all the humidity we could ever imagine, but every day. Yeah, it is. It is Ugh. intense. And we, we moved out here last, um, in September, and it was actually, you know, I've heard about the heat and humidity here, and, and I was when we moved here, it was gorgeous. And I was like, man, what's everyone complaining about? And then this is my first summer here. And, and um, yeah, but <laughs> now, I, now I know it. Now I know why everyone complained, but it's good. It's, so it's so good. do you avoid, do you avoid the heat or do you embrace it? Like I go back and forth, right? Like you can get up early and get it done before. Uh-huh. I mean, what, it's probably like eighties in the morning there anyways, but um, I go back and forth. Sometimes I just, Wait till noon, and then sometimes yeah. I don't. What's your philosophy yeah. on that? I'm, I'm I'm a morning workout person right now, um, but I also usually do an afternoon session. I've been kind of splitting it up, and so <laughs> I feel like I get um, I get the heat in the morning, which is a little bit more bearable. And then in the afternoon, um, I haven't been doing a ton of like running in the afternoon. That those will definitely be in the morning. But it's funny because while I was recovering from you know in the in 
the early stages of my ACL recovery, I was at a, you know, a gym, all air conditioned, and I was doing all this like bodybuilding type stuff. Um, and then I decided probably like, I think it was, it was not that long ago, like May, um, I decided to join a CrossFit gym and get back into like doing more functional training for competitions as I was getting closer to returning to sport. And uh, that was a big shock going from like your your Globo dim, cool air conditions to uh, just being in a big old garage <laughs> indoors. So it hit me like a ton of bricks. But now we're, we're good. We're getting this way. I know I look like I'm being really rude over here. I always here. wonder. I'm never on my phone during a you podcast unless there's that. an actual reason. But we put up. This is something different, Corinna. We don't okay. do any prep for anything. Uh-huh. They're the laziest <laughs> podcasters on the planet. But we put up a poll about what is your most pressing nutrition questions Whoa. because we shy away from it very often. So I was just closing out the poll and screenshotting the answers. So no, we're going we're gonna to rapid fire you later on at some point. But I just oh, wanted goodness. to explain the cell phone use because it hey, was well, Brad, very disrespectful. You know- You've been, uh, you've, you know, uh, the little birdies have been in my ear. Like, oh, you're going on the running public. Oh, Bracken, you, you know, Bracken stands on nutrition and this and that. And Ooh, you should ask I'm... Bracken what he eats. And... <laughs> you can ask me what I eat, but I'm interested oh, to Ask him to what know. he eats. Yeah. I'm interested to know <laughs> what other people think my stance on nutrition is because I actively avoid answering most questions about it. Because it's not my wheelhouse and I have views for myself that shouldn't apply to anyone else. So I'm curious to hear what you've heard, what I think about what I think. I've just heard that I think that you don't weigh nutrition very heavily in your, you know, as far as it comes to your performance and race outcomes. And, um, you know, I... You know, just some different things about, like, what a typical day in the life of Frankenstein... Uh, meal intake looks like maybe <laughs> it might include tortilla chips as a fork. I don't know. Or a spoon. <laughs> I Ooh. did eat one full meal today, and I ate it via tortilla chips. <laughs> it was. I mean, I can't eggs, really. Eggs, sausage, and rice mixed together and scooped up and eaten with a tortilla chip. <laughs> That's funny that that was actually this morning. So. Well, I mean, there's a good chance I like, throw the dart at the wall of any day and I probably use tortilla chips or a tortilla to contain my food. But we can get sure. into that stuff later. Sure, sure, sure. I, I do have very unspecific views that I use for myself. Sure. But because they are not holistic views, I don't give nutrition advice to people. I stay away from it. I stay in my lane. Yeah. Got to know your role in life. You do. And I respect that. And, you know, you also know what works for you or how your body responds well and you know maybe you've tried other methods or maybe you haven't but i mean i think you know that's Mm -hmm. yeah yeah staying in your lane is a good thing i like the same way like i i train but i don't train people i'm not writing programming like that's you guys like that's your that's your realm and i like to outsource (laughs) for when people Mm -hmm. um, and um you know my husband programs but like that's a very separate you know for me that's that's not my wheelhouse i'd rather be good at my job on the nutrition side of things and not try to over spread out too thin i like that i i've it's one of those things we can't stand as coaches is when people are like this worked for me this is the way to do it yeah because that's not true most of the time and just because i have found a balance in my life for what works for me i would Mm -hmm. be doing a disservice to people if i said and now this is how you must do it right 
No, totally. It's like if you work out because, well. Oh, go ahead, Kurt. I was going to say because telling people to eat cold pizza every day is not a program <laughs> that you probably want. Not every day. Only days after I had pizza the day before. <laughs> I will say air fr- like the air fryer changes the leftover pizza game big time. I you haven't have done that. You've leftover pizza and you put it in an air fryer on reheat. You may as well have just gotten a new pizza for the day, and it's a game changer. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's going to be a game changer for you, Bracken, but try it. Well, I think it will be for some people. I love cold <laughs> food, so it's not an issue for me. But for my kids who won't eat cold food, maybe that's a game changer. There was just a period of time where it was like two out of three episodes where Bracken is – finishing his last cold piece of pizza in the morning at 9.30 before we record our Training Tuesday episodes. And it's a very regular occurrence. So I'm glad we have an expert on today is what I'm really getting at. So glad you're here, Corinna. Happy. We want to – go ahead, Bracken. (laughs) Bracken wants to interject. Go ahead. Before I put this on the tracks. This is something Corinna can answer because I'm not – touching it from a from a nutrition standpoint but from a social psychological standpoint timing of day does not interact with the way the nutrients enter my body so even if pizza is considered a lunch or a dinner based food it's no less or more good or bad for me if i have it as my first meal or as as my second or third and maybe there's some flaw to that but outside of social stigma carbs protein a little bit of dairy (laughs) <laughs> those those are still carbs, protein, and dairy at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. True. I think in reference to when you're working out, Bracken, like did you did you eat it as this is a post workout? Yeah. Is this a pre workout? Post workout. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we might want to add a little extra protein there. Maybe. Um, I mean, it's meat lovers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, you know, pro- it's going to be a little bit high in fat as a post as a post workout, but it's way better than doing that pre workout and then having a bunch of fat sitting in your stomach. That's so, exactly right. You no, know, that's that was a good. Yeah, we're we're okay. I'm I'm, I'm okay with that, Brad. But that's 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 the pinnacle. That's as good as you're yeah. gonna get. Right there. <laughs> Continue, Kirk. Rain us in. Kick this thing off. Uh, no, we can go off the rails later, um, or probably many times along the way. But, uh, Corinna, what we do is I, I really do want to pick your brain on all things nutrition in relation to the athlete, specifically like the endurance athlete. I think. Um, I've heard really good things. A handful of my, uh, my athletes, I, the word, my athletes, people I coach have worked with you and have had really good things to say. And so it's like about time we chatted with you, obviously. But, um, before that, I first was, uh, made aware of you at one of the worst race experiences I've ever had, which was the inaugural TMX, uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, I didn't make the finals. It was the worst day of my life and you won. And I remember, like, who is this absolute freak, right? Like, you crushed it out there. It was so impressive. Uh, And I was very much humbled by the event. But anyways, that's when you officially were put on my radar. I was just getting into the OCR scene um, and then started following along with you and all that. So I know you after TMX 2017, in a sense, from, like, what I've seen on social media. Obviously, you and I haven't, like, chatted much or anything over the years. But I don't know, like, Corinna beforehand. And so I'm very curious as how you got to at least – this point and we typically like to get to know our guests like from origin but we don't we want to get to a lot of the good nutrition stuff as well so i do 
want to save plenty of time for that, but I also want to know, like, where you came from and how you got here. So, like, could we dive into that a little bit? Like, I don't know where you're from, what your origin of sport was, any of that. Could you? Yeah. No, I love it. And I think that's one of the things I love most when you have guests on your podcast is learning more about, like, where they came from. So, yeah. um, Originally from Virginia. Okay. Born and raised. um, Grew up on Mm. a a horse farm. I have, uh, you know, my we have we have a lot of lot of land in Virginia, and I have three brothers. So I'm the youngest. Actually, I have a twin brother. So, but he's a couple minutes older. But yeah, I have three brothers, and we're all within. Uh, so I guess newborn twins. That was us, and then a one year old, and then a three year old. So my mom and dad uh, definitely had <laughs> had had uh, their hands full with us growing up. But it was great because we had the farm, we had all this land, we had woods, we explored, we were outside getting dirty and we weren't allowed in the house like except for meal times my dad is um my dad's an olympic gold medalist and double olympic gold medalist in um equestrian three-day eventing so like that's his like horses um or his his life you know like that was he was he was a you know one at age 21 so like he was the youngest in his sport to to do that and then he really got into coaching and then he became a saddle manufacturer and just started his own business on our horse farm. Um, so like half of our barn is with our the horses and then the other half is workshop his company's employees and he's really made a um, you know great name and business for himself. So so we had dad on, you know, he was home all the time technically and so we were just kind of on our own running around um, you know, doing all kid things. Good question about that. When you when you say you you grew up on a horse farm. Does that mean like that's how the family made their living? Like most people who have horse farms that I know, I have a couple of clients actually do in the cities, like that's their side gig, right? Like they have the horses. It's a passion project. Maybe they compete, maybe uh-huh. they don't, but then they have like a different job. Like was that the, that was the, the whole deal for you guys, I'm assuming? Well, the deal. So yeah, like the, the income was my, my, my dad's saddle manufacturing company. So, you know, makes handmade, hmm. handmade saddles, uh, English saddles. And, um, yeah, that's, that's his, that's, that's his livelihood. That was putting food on the table for us. Not the, not so much the horses in, themselves. Um, but you know, as a, you know, my dad perfects his craft and, you know, he's riding every day, testing out his saddles on our horses. So, you know, we maybe at one time have like seven horses, but it's nothing. It's not like a huge establishment. We don't have trainers working out of our farm and, mm. you know, you know, competition kind of horses or anything. Um, they're really just test subjects that we care for very deeply, but like, you know, kind of like how my dad tests to make sure that the saddles are, um, you know, up to snuff and performing the way, you know, he wants them to. So this yeah, strange. So I'm, to cut you off <laughs> when we track people's backgrounds, the common threads that appear, this is the third time now there's been some sort of question background. We had Natasha <laughs> Manzel with dressage. You and then Chris Roglowski grew up sleeping next to horses and doing whatever weird Mm. things Chris Roglowski does. (laughs) But this is now behind running and I don't know, maybe soccer. The most common OCR thread we we can find is now something Equus related. Well, I was, is that a word? Equus? Yeah. Equine. (laughs) Yeah. um, No, but I, uh, I mean, I was, everyone's always like, oh, you must have ridden so much when you were younger. And, you know, I went through, we all went through phases of, of riding, but, um, 
but yeah, I never really stuck. And I don't think my parents were too upset about that because we four four kids doing, um, doing, uh, you know, like competing and, and, uh, I'm trying to like blanking on the word of like, or, you know, going to, um, shows and whatnot. Like that's, that's a huge time suck and, you know, financial suck. So they were, they were pretty happy with us choosing soccer, which we did. And like, that was, that was my main sport, um, till high school. So, and yeah, then it turned into lacrosse and cross country. Um, and I went to Virginia tech for college. I wanted to play lacrosse there kind of settled for the the club team, which was a lot of fun, pretty competitive. Um, and then after my sophomore year, I settled was, for I mean, as in didn't, I, I, I sorry, don't know. I, I settled as in didn't make it or didn't go out. No, I, um, I didn't go out for the team. I don't. And I think, I was like, I wanted, I don't know if I just didn't think I would make it. I, the, just the thought of like, oh, I'm going to try out. Like I didn't get recruited for it. It just wasn't, I don't know why it didn't cross my mind. But no, looking back, I'm like, man, I probably like, should have should have gone for it. Um, but, but I didn't. And I really loved that I went to school for the education piece and the, you know, the, the fun, like the, the lacrosse team was kind of like the social um, you know, it was kind of like my social group that I was with, but also, you know, we practiced every day, you know, six, uh, five days a week and had, you know, a lot of games and, and, and tournaments and stuff. So that was, it was perfect. It was honestly the, the best. It didn't take away so much of just me being a college kid. And then, um, I started getting into triathlon. I joined, I decided to just join the triathlon team. Um, again, club team, we didn't have a varsity team, but just, I was just, you know, biking a lot and running a lot. And I just was kind of losing my interest in lacrosse um, and just wanted to try something new. And this team was taking on people. They were like, you can join us even if you don't even know how to swim. And I was like, perfect, because I probably haven't swam a lap, like a <laughs> like a like an official lap in any type of certain stroke ever um, in my life. So, like, the swimming was totally new for me. But they had optional practices. They'd have swim swim practice every morning at 6 a.m., They'd have multiple bike rides and runs a week, and I just showed up for everything, and um, and it was awesome. And I had my first triathlon in six weeks after that, so it was it was kind of this just really fun um, group that I could join that really got me out of my comfort zone. I started doing like some CrossFit esque classes through my um, through the rec center as well at our college, and so I just kind of had this perfect combination of mostly endurance but a little bit of strength thrown in there, and um, that's when I into obstacle course racing the next summer. So. What year was that? I was 20. So that would have been 20, um, 2014 was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. And that okay. was also the year I did the Killington uh, World Championship in Killington. Um, so I met you after that race. I believe we were at yeah. the same house after everyone having their post-race meal and commiserating how yeah. awful the <laughs> race was. But I didn't know your background up to that point and didn't realize that you weren't a runner a mountain runner it was a brutal year 2014 i believe it was the longest year we ever had as a championship there miles yeah were you second that year Mm -hmm. second that year first major ocr race and we don't need to go too far into this but i've just always been curious since finding out later that wasn't your your world why did you do well there what had you done because try shouldn't have prepared you for what you did there so a lot of my training, um, so yeah, I had a year of triathlon under my belt, was doing like the you know, strength stuff. Um, 
so that summer, so the summer of 2014 is when I did my first Spartan race. It was actually, oh, I did my first battle frog race. So that was yeah. like, I had a friend, she had an entry, she gave it to me the night before. I was like, yeah, I'll go do this. Anyway, um, won that event and, and I met Pac, Jung Young Pac, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, oh man, maybe, Hobie. I don't think Hobie was there. I forget. Definitely those two. And they were like, Hey, you should like, you crush this. You don't do these like on a regular basis. And I was like, like, no, <laughs> I have winter green Spartan race on my calendar in a month or so. And they were like, well, DC's next weekend. And then there's Boston, like two weeks after that. I'm pretty sure I raced five Spartan races in an eight week span that summer and just mm-hmm. traveling. I was like, well, may as well. Right. It's my summer. So, um, so then, every, then I was really hooked on it, and I was like, okay, well, World Championships is in September. I've got, I've got like, a couple months to prepare. Um, the nice part is, like, I was doing rucks. As I remember just, like, did hour-long, like, several hours in the woods just on trails with a, a ruck. I don't really know why I – or, like, oh, sorry, a little best. I'm not really sure why I did that. I just think I – that was – I was just doing my all my own training then. Um and then I ran the stadium a lot. So I don't know if you guys have seen the Virginia Tech football stadium, but they have it open all the time. You could just go in whenever. And I ran stairs multiple times per week and, um, and just to get my legs ready for Billington. Mm. And it must, <laughs> must have worked. I, I remember, like, I was like, if I could get a top 10 finish, maybe a top five, that would be amazing. And um, I was leading the race pretty much the whole time until the last two miles. And that was when Claude uh, came up. And I just remember failing so many obstacles in that last two-mile mm-hmm. stretch. It was a it was gnarl. Brutal. They had that um, Tyrolean Traverse that was like seemed like forever. Seemed Across like the pond. Forever. Across the pond. I remember yeah. barely making it through that. And they had the rope climb after and the spear throw and the monkey bars. And I just remember doing so many burpees. Um, mm-hmm. Those hanging pipes. Those are those are tough. Yeah, I did everyone. Not. Everyone did burpees. Sir. Yeah, it's burpees galore. Okay, but I, it's so funny because I think back and like I was studying nutrition, food, and exercise, and Spanish. Those are my two, two majors. And um, but I was not learning nutrition for sport performance, and that's like a very big difference. Like nutrition for health, wellness, you know, gen pop versus sports application two very separate entities and I was just kind of you know just coming into my senior year of college I learned a lot but it was all just very textbook and very much not directed at an athletic population so you know I look at that race you you said it before Bracken like this 15 miles one of the longest world championships we've ever had if not Mm -hmm. the longest four and a half hours I remember it took me four hours and 22 minutes and I I pretty sure I consumed maybe 400 calories total that entire race. Like I had no fueling strategy. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I look back and like, man, I could have been so much stronger in those final two miles had I had a proper fueling plan. And, um, it definitely showed. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of the catalyst of like, I graduated my senior year. I was like, damn, I should have become a, di- I should have gone the dietetics track. I shouldn't have just studied nutrition, food, and exercise. I should have like gone the dietetics track so I can be a dietitian when I graduate. But, um, I went back for grad school in 20. So it was right after T in TMX, um, Kirk. So that would have, yeah, I started 2017. So right after TMX that summer, that's when I went to Utah went to the University of Utah for their sports nutrition program. Um, did that for two, two year masters and dietetics. 
track. So yeah, and then I, you know, I was a sports nutrition focus, so I knew like I definitely wanted to work with, um, you know, athletes and and not even necessarily athletes, but just I wanted to approach nutrition from a performance standpoint, from a fueling standpoint. Like how do we like? Of course, there's always going to be some overlap of you know nutrition for health and wellness. Like that is probably at the heart of everyone's goals, um, but you know, where it differentiates from general population to athletes or high performers is, you know, there's definitely some, some differences. So that's what I was curious about. Before we jump to that, I'm curious um, about, seemed like you, speaking of jumping, like you jumped from thing to thing for like many years, it sounds like, like you were always like moving and working towards something, but there was like a moving target, right? Like, is that, is that yeah. normal for you? Um, in a sense where if I look at your, uh, let's say recent five years, for example, yeah. or when I was made aware of you, there was obviously Spartan race. Then there was, uh, I guess, Tough Mudder. Then there was CrossFit. Then there was, now there's tactical games and go ruck games and things like that. You've really like, I don't know, like, not like it's been a moving target. It's probably like very symbiotic uh, seeming, yeah. but like, is that your track record or have you just like followed the path and you've taken the, you just let it guide you. I'm, I guess I'm curious there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, it, it's so funny. Cause I, I look back and I'm like, man, I never could have anticipated my trajectory going all these different directions, but I'm so glad it did. And I, and I really do. It's just, you know, when I get bored of something or if not having fun in something like to me, one of the reasons why I've been able to be consistent, you know, in, you know, consistently, I think competitive, um, and still excited about doing all these different things is because I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Um, you know, like the training is so varied that, you know, might not be the most structured, like you guys as coaches are probably like, what the hell is she doing? She's doing all these different things. Um, but I think I really enjoy that carefree aspect and approach to movement and athletics and fitness in general. It's just like, I, I want to do all the things. And I think that's why this kind of hybrid fitness realm that were that's becoming more and more popular is so enticing to me because it's um you know it's a blend of all these different things and so you know right now i'm having fun with the tactical games and um but i do love being out in the mountains and and running but i love mountain biking and i love being in the gym still and strength training and so to me i just i want to do it all and if something sets me, you know, lights me up on the inside, I want to pursue that. And then if something else comes along, it's like, oh, maybe I want to try that too. And I found that even though there's such a big difference between like obstacle course racing versus like high rocks versus tactile games versus CrossFit, it's like I've been able to do pretty well in like with some tweaks in my training and like some time and consistency of like working toward that. I've still been able to perform at pretty high levels in all those areas. Um, and so that has to speak to something of like, okay, well, we're finding a, a good balance of, you know, a little bit of, you know, the strength and endurance components and all of those things. And I, and I, I really enjoy that. I like, I like being capable, competent in, in all these different areas. Has that applied to your professional shows. life? I have a natural. Oh, oh, the delay got us. <laughs> um, bracket. It, so kills, just... it gets us okay. every episode. Okay. Should I answer Bracket's question or Kirk? No, Kirk's. <laughs> Mine's that we can switch to me right. later. Well, no. Well, this is a selfish question. Mine. It's it's more. Yeah, we don't obviously know a ton about each other, but I, 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 I let's say veer in the like outdoor space. There's my a lot of my passions and hobbies. Like I go shoot my bow regularly, and I have 
rifles that I use for hunting and I'm into that sort of lifestyle. And then I see the tactical games, which I've never participated in, but I have a, like a, a pretty heavy curiosity about it. And I think even though I'm fairly informed in this space, I still don't really understand fully what happens at these games. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, the pictures look badass. Obviously, there's a big physical and mental component. I actually just, could you break, like, this is just me, curi- you know, selfish yeah. curiosity. Like, break, can you break <laughs> it down for me? Tactical games. Like, what does it take to be a good tactical games athlete? Maybe explain what it is because um, I don't think a lot of people know. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope I don't butcher this for anyone who's listening from the tactical games community. But really, it's you know, in its simplest form, firearms and fitness, right? So you're you're shooting and you're shooting two different guns. You're shooting a rifle and pistol, um, and you're doing lots of different types of fitness. And and this is where it's so fun. Like on the fitness side of things, it really is a blend of there's CrossFit esque, but nothing not nothing too crazy. But like there is a barbell. Um, there are barbells, there's heavy sandbags. It's kind of like go ruck meets CrossFit meets strongman meets like obstacle course racing a little bit because there have been obstacle courses. Like it's a little bit of like a military style of fitness where, you know, you need to be able to run, jump, traverse, lift heavy shit, you know, uh, carry things, go up, you know, uh, run. And really they test you in so many different domains that on the, on the strictly fitness side of things, like for someone like me, I'm like, this is my playground. Like this is everything that all the different sports and activities that I train for and love. But now we're adding this whole element of marksmanship to it, which I mean, think what you want. I I think there's so many different opinions about there on, on guns. And I respect any and all opinions. I was someone who like literally a year and a half ago before I got into kind of the tactical games of shooting, I was terrified of guns. I didn't want to touch a gun. I didn't want to, um, I never grew up around guns. I'd shot a couple times, maybe some skeet shooting, had no interest, like zero interest in shooting a gun. And then at the Spartan game season two, it was sponsored by the U S air force special warfare. And we had one event where it was, you shoot a rifle, you know, a 50 yard target and you carry a down man or drag him and then shoot again. And then, lift some heavy bar overhead and then shoot again. And then, um, you know, some other big stone carry. And I was like, Holy cow, this is so cool because you know, you're doing something so physically challenging and now you have to slow your heart, like slow down, be calm and collected and steady your hand, pull, you know, the trigger and hit this target and be in tune with your breath and try to, you know, go from, just, you know, the complete opposite of what you were just doing when you were running around. So that really hooked me. And in that kind of comp- competition environment, I was like, man, like what, how do I look more into this? And so one of the guys there was Tim Zemanski. He was, he does a lot of these tactile games. And so he was like, Hey, if anytime you want to try one of these tactile games out, like you can borrow all my gear. Um, and so I took him up on that a couple months later, but really it, it you know, the shooting component is, you know, it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's finesse, it's skill, it's mark, it, you know, it's, it's having, being able to control your body in a way that is really challenging when, you know, you kind of have to play to your strengths a little bit, but it's like, you know, you're doing basically a workout. So to describe it, the events are, you're basically doing a workout for time, right? So it might be like, okay, four rounds of a sled drag, like a hundred yard sled drag, and then you have to go pick up this barbell and carry it in a front rack position down, like, you know, back down the other 
50 yards or 100 yards. And then you have a firing line and, you know, all your, your rifles grounded on the firing line and you might be shooting from different um, ports or you might be shooting from different, like a tank trap or something. And they're like, all right, the rifle, like you have to shoot, you know, 10 shots at this rifle, you know, at, at this target that's 100 yards out. And then you have to shoot this many times with a pistol from 15 yards out. Okay. And so, and, and so when you finish your shooting, you holster your gun or you ground your rifle and then you go back to the fitness and then you go back to the firing line again. And so basically it's a, it's a CrossFit workout with shooting and you finish the workout, your time stops 10 minutes. Let's say like, okay, I finished in 1030. The girl beside me finishes in, in 1130. I beat her by a whole minute, but guess what? You count your shots, you have paper targets at the end of the event and you collect your targets and you get ten a ten point deduction for every miss that you accrue. So it's like you might you might smoke someone in the physical portion, but if you missed all your shots or you missed, you know, 10, 15 shots a year, now it's gonna add up to your total time being, you know, an extra couple of minutes compared to the other person. So really it is, you know, there's a huge physical component to it, but if you suck at shooting, <laughs> you will not do well in these events. So it really does cater to you have to be, you have to know what you're doing um, on the shooting side of things, or at least be fairly competent in it. And they'll, you know, they'll test you with shooting left-handed. You'll shoot, you know, pistol with a single, you know, single hand, dominant, non-dominant from different ports, um, from different positions, um, big targets, small targets. It's all, it's, it's pretty exciting and it's, and it really keeps you on your toes. Um, both, and, and they don't announce the events till the night before. So you get like a, not an email at 9 p.m. kind of describing what what your what eight events you're gonna be doing over the next two days and even then you don't really understand it all and you have to wait till the next day and they walk you through the the flow of everything so it's just fun i like the mystery of it i like that you can't really prepare for it um and you can but you don't know exactly what's coming and i've always loved that element even in obstacle course racing it's like compromise shooting oh for sure <laughs> you're only it's only compromise. i mean like, I like you're, there's you're barely ever shooting fresh um so it's it's Bracken a lot of fun. nailed his laser pistol in palmerton didn't yeah, you bracken you're right. you'd be a natural didn't you I'm, pew pew I'm, I'm right like a, down a marksman the now, yeah. bullseye <laughs> yeah no so my second up. round it took me like 60 seconds and it was embarrassing it's hard so tell oh, me oh i so thought you nailed it the first first time. round was like four seconds and out second round was 16 what bracken what's the what's the laser pistols a joke <laughs> summary it's weighted much closer to an actual pistol than I imagined because I'd held the old one, which from biathlon, you have to prime it each time and shoot and they have to stand in the classic one arm. Uh, Anyway, you don't, and it's, you just, you can sit however you want and you can spam the trigger. So there's, there's no cost to it. You have to hit three shots and move on. And so there's probably like a half dollar size target you have to hit from, I would say 10 meters. And you have 20 seconds to do it. So there's no, the penalty is missing and taking longer yeah. time, but you can just spam the trigger as fast yeah. as you want, like an arcade game. So it's, it's not yeah. shooting. Gotcha. Okay. And there's no yeah. point to having it. None. <laughs> cause you don't need breath control. Cause you can just fire yeah. at will and move it around until you start getting hits. Yeah. And there's no That's recoil whatsoever. We'll have like a loadout. It'll be like, okay, you have four magazines for each four rounds and each one has to have 10 shot, 10 bullets in it. So yeah. they're going off of, hey, you've got 40 shots total for rifle, let's say, in this event. 
we're only counting shot like any bullet holes that are in the target like in the shapes in the paper shapes or the yeah like on the paper targets but in the shape that's drawn on it you get points you know you won't get deducted for those but let's say they only count like eight shots in there out of 40 then they're going to count 32 misses and you will get 320 seconds added mm-hmm. to your total time so like you every shot and that's the hard part is like every shot like like you said you can spam the trigger and it doesn't matter what nope. what misses you have this one very much so like Misses I've only dry fired a handgun in my entire life. That's it. And I was four seconds out on three makes in the in round one while compromised, which means it's not shooting. Because you, it doesn't matter if you naturally have a talent for shooting or not, you wouldn't get it on your first try. It just wouldn't yeah. exist. So no recoil, mm-hmm. no real aiming necessary, and yeah, pointless. It's not tactical games. <laughs> but I will say the few times I've watched biathlon... In the Olympics, um, the portion of waiting for the shots to be fired in the tally and seeing who finishes where and how it all comes works itself out at the end is actually very exciting as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that format because it allows for, if you want to call it upsets or changes in position and all of that. Um, so I could get on board with that for sure with the games. My question is, and then we, we got to move on to the nutrition stuff because I don't want to do that side of this a disservice, but the barrier to entry for tactical games, again, these are all selfish curiosity questions. Is it pretty tough to get into considering the need for guns and ammo? Like if somebody's like, hey, I'm interested, but it seems overwhelming to get into, that's my take. Like I even own some of these things and I'm like, well, like, it seems like a lot of work and an investment to get into it. You just yeah. tell me about that. Is it? Is it not? Yeah. It's not. I mean, so when I showed up for my first one, like, yes, I didn't have any, I didn't own any guns. So I was like, I definitely needed someone to provide those for me. But, you know, I had an old CrossFit weight vest. So that was my play carrier. I didn't care. It was, you know, 15 pounds. And I think the women's vest only had to be 12. But I was like, whatever. Like, I'm going to put this, I'm strap some mag pouches on there. Like, my husband had some some extra that I could borrow. And then, I mean, yes, the, the guns themselves are probably like the biggest, um, you know, the, the most, the priciest option if you're, or the, the priciest component. But at the same time, like you, like even, you know, for myself and Kirk, like, you know, you've got those, you know, you've got a pistol. There's a couple different, like you don't have to, I think you need an AR platform for rifle, but um, like, you, you know, borrowing from a friend is, you know, like you could, probably do that and the community is really generous like if you need it you know they, they have a tactical games facebook page if you needed anything or to borrow anything there's people there are like have especially the regulars like they've got they've got so many different options for things and they they are very generous with their equipment so um i think it's pretty easy to find things like you would need but the, the challenge is you know you obviously want to practice with the you know if you're borrowing someone's pistol or rifle it's like you want to get out on the range and get some practice with them and you know, know, know your holds from different distances and just know what you're doing. Um, so I would say like, you know, that that's one downside, but, but they do have, um, you know, they have a lot of resources on their website and they also offer a lot of training days. Like like they call them training days, like in-person training days where, um, most of their, those are located in like Texas or Virginia, but it's kind of a nice like practice simulation of these events and like what to expect. And, um, they're led by pretty, the well-versed instructors so um so those are kind of nice but yeah i'd say like the, the guns for probably like the biggest um, investment for sure and then of course you can get all the gucci gear that you want to and spend a pretty penny or you know you could just have the basics but i felt like 
I feel like if you just go on with an open mind of like, okay, I just, I have the bare minimum. I'm just going to make do with what I have and meet people and talk to people and get to know the community. Like you're, you're going to make, you know, it's just like the obstacle course racing community or how it was, I feel like in, in its like early stages, right. Where mm. it's just, people are just so cool. And really you're what racing. Once was. <laughs> I haven't been to one in a minute, so I feel like it's a yeah. little different now. You know what I envision with this, like if I were to be practicing for this, is like, you know how you're always like the crazy neighbor when you do OCR and you're like, who's this guy carrying a bucket down the <laughs> residential street and the person throwing a spear at the archery range and you get these weird looks and I envision like once a year I go to the rifle range and I make sure my rifles are sighted in for like deer hunting season and there's like Elmer Fudd there with his shotgun and this guy there and I envision like... Like, if I were to train for this, I'm sure there's a facility, but could you picture, like, I'm going to bring my barbell to the rifle range, <laughs> and I'm going to bring my sandbag, and I'm going to go do this crazy shit and then shoot my gun down range when there's, like, these people are, like, you are so left field. You might as well be an alien there doing that. I just envision that happening. Maybe there's facilities to actually train that way, but I would, like, what would I do? I would go there, and I would probably get kicked out, right? Like, <laughs> well, the good thing wouldn't is, that like, you can just practice. So yes, like when you have those days, like I'm definitely with a group of people who are like training for the tactical games and we'll bring out like all that crazy stuff. And it's just like, all right, we're in a group and we're in a, we're at a range that like is totally fine with that. But I think for the most part, like, you know, and yes, it helps to be in a compromised state when you're shooting to simulate what you're going to be doing in competition. But at the same time, it's like, you can still break those down and do like, you know, have your fitness routine be shooting a lot. And, you know, Kirk, you especially, like, you have such great fitness that I think that, you know, you'd be surprised how maybe unbothered you are on the firing line. Like, it might not impact your shooting as much as the next person. Mm -hmm. Like, my first event, um, you know, I was up against all these women who, you know, were, were shooting instructors and had a lot of back, like, a, a lot of um, a pretty extensive background and, and years of shooting under their belt. But I think because my fitness was was quite high that when I was shooting, I didn't really know. Like, it wasn't that much different than if I was shooting unbothered. Whereas for them, like, they had never really, like, the fitness took so much out of them. Their shooting went way downhill compared to what they, hmm. you know, could normally do fresh. So, you know, that is that is the benefit of being, having the fitness on your side is like, okay, well, now you just need to learn how to shoot and shoot well. Um, whereas I wouldn't want to be, they wouldn't want to have to learn all the fitness. Because, as you all know, that takes years to develop. Um, but yeah, you should, you should, you should definitely come out to one, Kirk. You should, and even just to volunteer, or spectate. Like they're really fun to, um, you know, fun to come to and just experience and um, be a part of. Even if you, even if you didn't quite compete at the first one, I'll think about it. Okay. I got this we'll need follow. for speed, right? I got this need for speed right now. Uh, I'm on the track, which is probably polar opposite of that. But um, Bracken, do you have anything else you want to dive into with uh, Corinna as a human before we get into nutrition? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> no, <laughs> I no longer value anything about her as a person. I'm only interested in what she can provide to us as a sports nutritionist and dietitian. Yeah, thanks, Bracken. So, what's You're your welcome? answer? No, <laughs> no. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm not interested in Corinna as a Let's person. Let's move on. Final answer. <laughs> okay. There, there. No, I'm very like um, this is one of those where this could be a standalone interview because Corinna and I existed in the same sphere for right. 
the greater part of a decade, but we're never like best buds. So we would see each other at events. She was on Battle Frog Pro Team where I was on Spartan Race. And there's just a little bit of dichotomy there, but I saw her all the time. And she always out, she was one of those people I would consider a gamer. I feel like without knowing your training, just knowing the broad picture, you are outperforming a lot of people who are running more than you. You were always someone who would outkick your coverage a little bit on race day. And so I'm always intrigued by that. And yeah, we, I, I would love to hear all the different ways you train throughout the years and how that would all manifest. But at the end of the day, this is a little bit more of a nutrition episode and we have to stick to that. <laughs> That's fair. We can, we can chat more Bracken. Yes. I would like, cause I know you guys do. Well, we can do it every month. Try to take apart like the people, like, like I remember just with Chris's interview, like, just like, okay, how did this, you know, how did Chris get to this from all these things that she was doing or, or the things that she wasn't even doing? And so mm-hmm. I just, I it was just, a fool's errand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was fun to listen to. We do. Is that what you want it? We can do that. We, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want on it. We oh, can, I, we can start, we can split hairs <laughs> to no end if you want. It almost deserves its own thing, right? Sure. Like like you said, you can't just be great at everything. You got to eventually just choose your lane and be the best at that. And today's lane is giving the people some good knowledge to counteract what? my nonsense with food. Yes, let's do it. Well, and you know, the reason like, that's right. Because like, maybe we're doing like a little bit of getting to know you a slight disservice because we're not, you know, really prying, so to speak. However, this comes up because I don't know if it's two or three people that I'm working with, you're working with. And there's been more that I know that have dipped in in the past. But, like, my buddy TJ, I, I see him on a weekly basis. He's also an athlete of mine that, that I coach. And, dude, looks great. He's feeling fantastic. His metrics are coming along. Like, every time I see him, the dude looks more and more like like the runner that he's aspiring to be. And, obviously, like, we've been chatting about it. We've had some car rides together. And we've been out in the woods together. we spent a bunch of time together. And I'm like, like we got to talk to this woman figure out what this you know what's been going on because honestly i've just seen it through him and so i've been very impressed and that's why i was like we need to talk to you specifically about nutrition and i don't know why we avoid it so much um because it is partially my world it's not bracken's world but um let's start off by asking you a very unfair question that's impossible to answer and that is simply Uh what is your yeah what is your general we're gonna get very specific and nuanced but what is your general philosophy on nutrition for athletes which is a a dumb question it really is because it's so vague but if you had to just sort of elevators pitch that what what would it be yeah i think that's i think that's a great question my general philosophy and i guess i'm a little bit bias toward like you know the athletes that i've worked with and the like the, the clientele that i see more times than not but what i find is that you know the majority of my clients come to me because like they 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 are they know that they're leaving food on the table in terms of potential right like they have untapped potential that they know or believe strongly that they're very capable of they've got the the fitness like they've got the coach they hired the trainer um and but you know, and, and they're they're sleeping, and they're you know getting activity throughout the day, and they're putting so much effort into all these other areas. But when it comes to food, they are just lost. They don't know. I think we're so out of touch with um, our bodies and our needs and our hunger and fullness cues, and um, and that's really a, an area that I feel like a lot of people 
first come to me asking help and is like, I don't even know how to eat. I don't know what I need. And I think people are just unaware too of like what they're doing on a regular basis. Like so many people, you know, the first step that I always have my clients do is, you know, log a couple days of their baseline food intake for me. Like I just want, don't change a thing. Don't try to impress me. Don't try to be, you know, don't, don't try to have your food look a certain way. It's just, let me see what you're doing. And oftentimes just from that experience alone, People are like, oh, man, I didn't realize like that I was doing this or this or this or eating this and this, and this or not eating, you know, enough. And so I think that awareness piece is is so huge. But I, I think that food has become so hard to navigate now because we have so many options that it's, you know, and we're getting so much spit out at us, especially through social media, that it's just it's really a hard area to navigate. And I think it's, you know, you're getting messages for general population, individuals who aren't very active about, you know, avoiding this and to follow this diet and to, you know, uh, avoid these foods. And then you're, you've got an athletic population who is listening to that and now being extremely restrictive with their intake or just being very confused and just not knowing, creating a lot of fear around food. So I know that wasn't like a direct answer, but I, but those are the issues I see a lot with the clients that I, the clientele that I work with. And so really like that education foundation of understanding, you know, what is, you know, what are the foundations of food, right? How do we break down food into macronutrients and micronutrients and understanding the role that each of those plays in the body now helps us to be able to decide what food, which foods we want to put into our bodies at which times to maximize performance, but also meet, um, you know, also to meet our needs, but also our wants, right? Like we, we want to enjoy the food that we're consuming. We want to be able to be in social environments and with friends and family and still have a good time. Um, so, so there's just a lot, there's a lot that I, I see going on, but at the end of the day, it's just like breaking it down into its basics. And it's like, do you understand, are you in touch with your body? Are you in tune with what, you know, it is that you're, you need. And a lot of times people are coming to me and they recognize like, Hey, I just, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm performing at my best. I don't like, I don't have enough energy to do my workouts later in the day. And I know it's probably stemming from the food I'm hmm. putting inside of me. So like, how do I, how do I do it? And we're from the running standpoint, from the running standpoint, like there are, there are system people. And I suppose any sport, there are system people and there are principal people. Like Yancey is well known as a Lydiard guy. He follows Arthur Lydiard's style of training. Richard Diaz is a form guy. He will mm -hmm. revamp your form. Kirk and I more have pillars, principles of training energy systems we like, and we don't care how we apply it to you. It's mm -hmm. these are the things we believe in. We'll find a way for you. Mm -hmm. Would you call yourself a system-based coach or would you consider yourself a coach? What, yeah. what would you oh, yeah. label so a system-based coach or principles that we're going to apply in a wide variety of ways? I think probably more principles-based. Okay. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, the principles, you know, the, the found, I, I always think of like the principles as like the foundations of nutrition, right, are kind of like there are things that are just known kind of facts. We have a lot of, we have a lot of research and data backing that up, and these are just kind of unchanged. But now it's about how are we applying those principles to the individual and your unique you know, lifestyle and goals and needs and, you know, and, and that's going to look different for everyone. So we, we, how do we apply these? Yeah. How do we apply these to you? And that's why, you know, I, I really 
love one-on-one coaching with people because just like you guys, you know, coach for individuals based off of their goals and what they have access to and um, what they're trying to accomplish. Like nutrition wise, it's so every person, you know, you can work with a husband and wife and they're in the same household, but they have completely different day to days, Mm -hmm. right? They have completely different schedules um, and tendencies and patterns. And so it's just really like, I find that taking the time to, address an individual and their exact you know structure of their day and what their goals and needs are like it just we, we, it just expedites the process right you're just so much more thorough we're able to address them specifically as opposed to like a, a group related approach but we can still apply the same principles to a group of people but just how they how mm-hmm. it's constructed for them is completely individualized we talk a lot on here about we love threshold training we think volume matters, but we don't always care how you get your volume. Mm-hmm. We think that speed work and form work matters, but in different percentages for people. Those are our core tenets. And then for any sort of nonlinear sport, we think that compromise running is king. Mm-hmm. Do you have just like your big bullet points? These are my most important principles. Or mm-hmm. do you find that even some of those vary person to person? Yeah, well, I think of like the the level of like the hierarchy of importance when it comes to nutrition, right? Like at, at the very baseline is going to be just energy intake, right? Overall calorie intake. If you are, you could be, you know, you could be eating the best food and the highest quality food on the planet, but if you're not eating enough of it to support your needs, um, then you're going to end up with nutrient deficiencies and you know get injured. I'm thinking like of an athletic an athletic mm-hmm. population, right? You're not going to be able to sustain what you're doing and you'll get sick or injured or burn out and you won't get to your goals, right? So like at the end of, at the, end of the day, like a very baseline is like you got to be eating enough to support your goals. Now within that, like the next step up is like macronutrient distribution, right? We know that like you could clone yourself and both of you be eating, let's just say 2,500 calories a day, but depending on the macronutrient distribution, so the amount of carbs and proteins and fats that you're consuming that's that could look from a composition standpoint of that individual completely different depending on what you know how that's structured and the more you know as athletes like the you the role of protein carbs and fat is incredibly important and if you those are not structured appropriately you will feel that in your workouts like that's going to translate in your output um and then, so, you know, and, and it doesn't have to look like, there's not like one specific like set macronutrient breakdown that, that is, you know, successful for, for everyone. Like that's, there's, there's ranges to work with. Um, but it's just, you know, and obviously it's based on the individual, but the next step from that would be, you know, obviously from a micro, you know, food quality, like micronutrients, right. You can have, you can be eating protein, carbs, and fats and just supplementing with all that, right? Versus like getting whole food sources. And so that's going to play an incredible role as well. Um, and then from there, it's like meal timing, right? Or food nutrient timing, right? So like, and I'm big on that because, and, and I like working on the nutrient timing with the macronutrient distribution because for most of your athletes, I'm sure, and mine, like they've got a pretty structured day. Like, okay, I train in the morning, you know, a day. I, I wake up, I train, I excuse me, breakfast, maybe it's getting the kids off to school or something and then like going to work. And then, um, you know, maybe they're doing something again in the evening, dinner time. But like, it's even though we all have, you know, even though a lot of people have a lot of structure to their day, 
nutrition is all over the place, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's just like they have a plan for everything. They have a plan for their workout. They know what they have to do work-wise, but food is just kind of this afterthought and it gets often put on the back burner until you get to a point of hunger where it's like, I need something. I need food now and I haven't really made a plan. And I haven't really thought about it. So I'm going to open the fridge if I'm working from home and it's just whatever catches my eye or I'm just going to go out somewhere when I get hungry. And before you know it, like they might be really underfueled for the day, which is probably, you know, but they're not, maybe they don't have the body composition that they want. And they're like, I don't even eat that much. Like, you know, what's the deal? And it's really a lot of that comes down to, you know, even though we don't feel like we're eating that much, um, we're not fueling appropriately for our workout. So our workouts kind of piss poor, right? We just have like, well, it was okay, but we're not getting, we're not maximizing our output from our workouts, then we're not working on the recovery piece of it. So our body's not really making as many adaptations as it, as it could. Um, and then maybe the next day or on the weekend, we just eat a ton of food to make up, to make up for like that lack of food intake during the week. And so it's just this like high, low, high, low, your body has no consistency, um, across the week or across even the days. And, we just ride that roller coaster too of like high blood sugar, low blood sugar. Like, you know, like we're irritable, we're hungry, we're stuffed. We have a poor relationship with our body and our food because we're constantly riding, you know, we're, we're constantly just up and down as opposed to just and setting a meal and snack schedule. It's the first thing I do with all my clients. Um, when we get, once we get through kind of like the initial assessment part, it's like, let's determine what your nutrient needs are. And then let's find a good system, a good approach from morning till evening of how we should lay out your food intake. And it, I'm going to give you the option, like you can, you have freedom and flexibility around the foods that you choose, right? Of course, you know, for a lot of individuals, we might be focusing on some macronutrient distribution, but it really just depends. And, but this is how, because of your training, like I want you to have a pre-workout snack and then Afterwards, are you having breakfast or are you commuting to work and you have like an hour and a half before you eat breakfast? Okay, then we need a post-workout snack. Then we need breakfast. And how are we going to structure it? People are like, this just feels like so much food. <laughs> and it's like, well, it really isn't because, you know, we're still, we're eating to your needs, right? We, we've calculated those. And of course, we can make adjustments as we go. Um, but you just you're just eating more earlier in the day. And then you don't have these huge binge episodes in the evening where you're just like, eat, let me see food, eat food, right? Like I'm just so hungry and getting the majority of your calories after you've done all the stuff for your day. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? It's just like, it's, I'm going to be under fueled for my most active portion of my day. And then at the end, I'm just going to make up like, it's like digging a big hole, big deficit, and then trying to fill that hole back up at the end of the day, instead of starting, you know, the sand pile, <laughs> letting that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a terrible analogy, but, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, sorry for well, I don't know totally your answer. Brad, no, that. But. Go ahead. I have three. Fo- I have three questions now. I want to ask that. All right. Spurred in my brain, uh, but the first is this: we recently we've said this a few times over I don't know past year or two about like emotionally separating yourself from the work that needs to be done when it comes to workout. Like, who gives a shit how you feel about this workout? You're doing it. I don't care if you've had a bad day or a good day. It's been the best day of your life or the worst day. Like that box must get checked every day, and that's how you become successful. I don't care if your cat died. Sorry. Somehow figure it out. And that's being a little insensitive, but you get the gist, right? The same goes for eating, I feel like, because there's much 
there's even more of a stronger emotional tie to food for a lot of people, including myself. Of course, I use food to celebrate for comfort, things like that. I think at a lesser extent than many people do, but I think it's a big part of the equation, as you know. It complicates things knowing that. Do you, when you say like we need to come up with an eating plan, is that like, I don't care how you're feeling after your workout today, your feelings aside, if you're commuting to work, you must eat something now. Mm -hmm. And then when lunchtime comes around and it's busy, I don't care how you feel or you're stressed, like we must eat again. Do you look at it the same way? Do you understand what I'm asking? Is that Mm -hmm. how it really needs to go? Like the box needs to be checked regardless or what is your thoughts on that so it's it's interesting and that's such a great point because this is where like intuitive eating and eating for for performance is i, I think I'll, i think at the like in a perfect scenario i think we'd all like to be intuitive eaters right like i think oh like let me check in with myself i'm hungry i'm giving myself permission to go to the kitchen and eat something and i don't feel like i have to limit myself or restrict myself from that feeling but the challenge with athletes or just individuals who are training hard and have, you know, are, are quite active is like, is appetite suppression is a real thing, right? Like, and, and, and depending on what you're training and your volume and the intensity, it is, it can be very hard to stay in touch with yourself and listen to those cues uh, and not get yourself in trouble. Especially and I in the heat, I notice. Yes, right Sorry now. Interrupt. Especially in the heat of the summer. I don't know if you notice it, but I do for sure. My cues are all, my appetite's way down if I'm outside too much in the, in the heat. Yeah, it's it's so true. And that's probably the biggest thing that most of my athletes right now are dealing with is, is hey, like, I just can't, I just can't seem to eat enough right now. And I know I need to, but I'm just not hungry. And so I will say yes. Like in that case, like you cannot come back from, let's say a 90 minute run or like a, an hour long track session or whatever, like you just worked out, like you put your body through some pretty intensive training and, and not just like, I'm, I'm not just doing like 30, 45 minutes, a couple of days a week for just general health and wellness and fitness. Like, okay. Like that might be a little bit of a different story, but if you have performance goals, you're on a training program, you you're, you're in season, you don't have that option to not fuel yourself post-workout or even pre-workout like and a lot of that too and so so again that's where like having that rhythm and that routine can be really helpful because it's like all right i know i wake up i need to eat a snack before i go do my workout after my workout i'm having this and it becomes it's just like training your gut to tolerate food when you're running or doing like a long endurance event you we have to train ourselves or it's helpful to train ourselves as athletes to go through the motions of eating on a consistent basis, if you are trying to reach a level of performance that, you know, you haven't really been able to tap into yet. And so, and, and part of that is finding, now I will say, Kirk, like, okay, I'm not hungry. I finished the session. I'm not hungry. Okay. Well, you can wait a little bit, right? We, we have wiggle room. It's not like you have to eat right when you finish. Um, and there's also a lot of flexibility with what you can eat. So if you're not hungry for like a real solid food breakfast, can we make a smoothie? Can we drink a chocolate milk? Can we have um, more of like a yogurt, you know, a yogurty parfait concoction where it's like liquids just seem to be more appetizing and easier to get down, like drinking calories in the summer versus feeling like we have to eat them all. So I try to come up, you know, we try to come up with options for, you know, different individuals on like what could be appealing, but we still need to prioritize that. 
um, because again, it will come up later, right? It's like, if you skip that and then you're not, you know, you're not giving yourself any kind of recovery nutrition and then you wait for a couple hours, like it throws off the rest of your day and you're likely will get to the end of the, your day under fuel and that's going to impact the next day and the next day. So yeah, it's to answer your question. <laughs> yes. Like we, you know, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll definitely, we'll, it, there's definitely elements of that, but again, it just really, like the individual will dictate that because I don't work with, I don't work with only like high performers. Like sometimes people are just, you know, you're nine to five full time. You know, most of my, most of my clients work full time jobs. They have ambitions outside of that. Um, but you know, they can't spend hours a day training. And so there's, you know, it's almost like the hybrid approach. I think about it this way. Like we have the hybrid athlete who's like an athlete, like does a little bit of strength training, does um, endurance training and wants to kind of be the both worlds. Then you've got these individuals who are like the hybrid, hybrid individuals where like they're working that nine to five, like full-time job. Most of us, right? Myself included. They have aspirations to do all these different events and train and compete and they have a family and you know their husband or wife and it's like they, you know so they're doing a lot of things but they live like this dual life of like being a part-time like being an athlete but also being like this kind of sedentary like uh nine to fiver and it's just a hard balance right because part of you wants to needs to fuel for performance the other part of you wants to lose weight and get a better body composition and like you want to achieve all these things at once and that's where it gets you know yeah, that's I honestly that's the majority of my clients but um that's where there's a lot of individual nuance because we can't just expect to be in a fat loss state while performing in our peak performance in in the height of our um competition season so there's there's a lot of things that we have to work with and around hmm. Well, I have two more if I can go, unless Bracken, you got something in queue. No, it's all you. Okay. Um, I think I know the answer to this one, mostly from my own experience, and that is typically when I feel like I'm overeating on a regular basis, I feel a little icky, a little gross, we'll call it. She's like, I think I'm eating too much. I tend to feel good on a regular basis in my training sessions. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like I'm being, in quotes, better with my nutrition, eating more in line, I tend to have more days where I'm flat. Which le And I'm not saying I'm eating junk when I'm feeling like I'm eating too much necessarily. I'm just like eating more. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to believe that I am actually generally underfueled. And when I believe I feel icky and I'm eating too much, I'm actually properly fueled. Mm. In a sense. We'll call it that. I, I'm not saying it may be perfectly, but you get the gist of it. So with that as my baseline assessment, and I've noticed it recently, I've been eating more recently, really forcing it in the summer here because I don't naturally want it. And like, I feel pretty good on a regular basis for my workouts. So most athletes underfield or overfield. That's what I'm getting at. And yeah. Oh, our, is that the question? Our most, I, I would say under, like they're under, and, and I think to answer your question more specifically, Kirk, or to your predicament is like, we, I get a, you know, a lot of individuals, you know, I, th I think the athletic crowd, the athletic population is tends to be very like extra conscious about the foods that they, they eat or they, or they think that they need to. And so we get this, like a lot of this like, clean eat approach to clean eating, quote unquote, clean eating, where it's, you know, we've got athletes who are, you know, trying to eat just mostly whole foods and cut out sugar and and cut out processed carbohydrates and, you know, just feel like they need to have very, like, textbook 
type meals and, and then they feel bad about it. And then when they have like some potato chips or cookies, it's, it's, they feel like they have a very poor relationship with those types of foods or, you know, they can't have them in their presence because they know that they're just going to eat over consume those and feel gross. And, you know, and then it, the cycle begins all over again. And what I think is so important to, you know, you, and you hit the nail on the head, Kirk is like, you're just, you're not eating. Like when we restrict food or when we have foods that are kind of off limits or we just, Oh, I, I avoid these foods. We're creating, we're making it harder for ourselves to like when our options are just limited, right? Like, you know, when you, when you can eat all types of foods and you're not creating these rules around food, not because you're allergic or you have a, an intolerance to a food, but just because you try to avoid them, like you're really, you're, you're narrowing your span of foods that you can eat. And so when you get in certain situations where you're hungry and you need to find a, you know, quick food option, it, you know, you might be put in a hard place, right? Because it's just like, oh, I, well, I can't eat those things. And so you just get really hungry. And then it just, you know, you, you, something, you know, you get to a point where you just can't control like your hunger anymore. And it just, you go off the deep end. So I do find that a lot of, a, a lot of the athletes that I see and, and work with have a lot of these food fears or um, restrictions around food that are unnecessary. And so, you know, again, to my point earlier is like, first and foremost, you have to meet your calorie needs, your over overall energy needs to, especially if performance is like your top priority. And even if, like you said, on days where Kirk, maybe you're not paying as much attention to your nutrition or you're eating, you know, foods that maybe aren't, you wouldn't consider as healthy, like you are reaching your energy goals and that feels really good, right? Like your body, when you have extra resources on hand, um, you know, that's, that's a good feeling. You've got like, you've got enough glycogen stores, right? Stored carbohydrate in your muscles to do all these activities and, and fuel your runs and, you know, feel really good doing it and not putting yourself in a compromised state. So I think like, that's the big thing. And is that, you know, we, people are under fueled. My athletes are often under fueled because they are making it too complicated and avoiding foods that are really um, maybe you don't need to be eating high sugar, ultra processed foods all the time, but there's certainly a time and place for them in your diet that can be part of a really good, well-rounded intake. And those types of carbohydrates are actually some of the best options, especially immediately like before or during or after your workout. So I think that's where the timing can be really strategic. Oh, like you really enjoy these foods. Let's not cut them out completely and create a a bad, a poor relationship with that food, but let's strategically place them in your day where they can have a, a beneficial impact, right? Like a positive impact that can help support your, your training. And then outside of your training, a little bit further away, we're focused on mostly, you know, whole foods and minimizing some of those excess sugars or um, processed foods. So underfueled generally <laughs> seems to be more common. Sorry, I get, I get get on these hands. Well, no, that's what you said. I'm just making sure I heard correctly. Yes, under fuel option A. This is like the third what do you think? guest who's apologized for tangents. And I still think if we had a tagline for the podcast, it would be like the place for rabbit holes or tangents are us or whatever it would be like. Do you dive into it more. The more you can give, yeah. the better because they're not getting it from me. And I think I rub off on Kirk where he shies away from it because of me. So give them it all. Okay. Got it. Well, given. 
it has been. Kirk said this in the last podcast, but when we get the audio files afterwards and we line them all up on top of each other, the Mm -hmm. best ones are where we can barely see us, where our guests Mm -hmm. are filling up the most chunks of time uninterrupted as possible because it gets away from answering the question to preaching. And as soon as a knowledgeable person starts preaching, it's like, now we're in the good stuff. Our questions maybe hinder people, but once they get past our question, (laughs) then the good stuff comes out. So go with it. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. I'm not saying that's you. (laughs) I'm saying like (laughs) the experts we have on. Uh, Kirk, you have a third part? I have two more now that you keep popping up. I don't get a a chance to talk nutrition very much with our guests, Bracken, and this is – I guide I people it. on nutrition every day in this room. I'm sure that I'm sure that they're all questions that listeners would be interested in too. Oh, they're definitely interested in these questions for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm checking out. Go do your thing. <laughs> no, you hold the key to all the questions our listeners have, so you're up shortly. Um, is I want two examples here, and this could be God. You could make a whole episode on this next question. I really yeah. believe you could. But let's again an elevator speech. Let's call it a 70 floor building. How about that? Yeah. Give us some time. Uh, is you have the let's just say a quality session. This is a session that matters. You have the morning pre work worker outer, and you have the post work after work worker outer. Mm-hmm. What do you? What are like generalizations that would probably be good recommendations for most? If you have the morning quality session and the evening quality session, assuming that person always eats lunch in the middle of the day, regardless. Mm. What would you say to do before and after from a food perspective for both of those scenarios yeah. on a day that matters? Okay. On a day that matters, let's take the morning worker router. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the bigger focal areas for that individual would be dinner the night before. Um, and I think a lot of people mm-hmm. forget that because I, I've got a lot of it. You know, there, there are individuals who want to wake up and just roll out of bed and go right into their training session. And I get that, right? It's, you know, you're already waking up early enough to try to fit your workout in. So the thought of like having a meal and eating beforehand and giving yourself more time is, is, um, you know, times of the essence there. So I would say like making sure there's a quality dinner beforehand the night before higher in carbohydrate. Um, and if we can, even if it's just a carb rich, small snack, like I know, like for me, I can put a little peanut butter and jelly on a piece of toast and be out the door eating that and get to like my, my the you know get to the trailhead in 5 minutes or you know get to the gym and within that time frame and be just fine you know to digest that and again i think that's cuz i've trained my body to do that or I've, I've become accustomed to that and that only happens when you when you implement that more on a more consistent basis so i would say dinner pre-workout snack and after your workout like get breakfast and, you know, have, have like an actual meal, you know, and if you, and if it's going to be a, you know, an hour and a half or so or some time before you can get an actual meal in, you need a post-workout snack with carbs and protein. Um, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like that's kind of simple. So if you're rolling, yeah. If you're rolling out of bed into your shoes, so to speak, like the coffee pot is set for 4.30 AM and you roll out of bed, shuffle over there, hating your life, Literally, the coffee is going down your throat within three minutes of waking up, and that's me. In those morning workouts, yeah, we are saying like, if you want the most out of your session, you still think like, figure out a way to get some sort of like something quick and easily digestible, no matter what. Even if you're literally work, working out a half an hour after getting up, or do you think there's like, yeah. there's like you're losing your return on investment there? 
So you could start with, you know, the, the foods that the carb, you know, your body needs carbohydrates after an overnight fast, you, you know, it's not like your body just shut down during the nighttime. And now you've got the same amount of carbohydrates left in your body as when you went to bed. Like, you know, you're, we, we can store carbohydrates in our muscles. We can store carbohydrates in our liver. And during the night, you know, to keep our blood sugar levels at a normal level, at a healthy level, our liver is supplying those carbohydrates. So when you wake up, it's actually like, you know, your muscle glycogen really hasn't been tapped into while you're sleeping, but liver glycogen has. And that liver glycogen is what supplies, the liver is what supplies, you know, and regulates our blood sugar levels. So, you know, in the morning, it's really like that meal, those carbohydrates are really just to replenish some of that lost liver glycogen storage. And again, carbs aren't, we can only store Maybe it's a little bit more depending on the individual and how much muscle mass you have. But between muscle glycogen and liver glycogen, about 500 grams of carbs. So that's 2,000 calories. Like, you know, and, and your body's continually using those. We're, our muscles are contracting as we go throughout the day, even when we're not even thinking like we're working out, right? Just for regular movement. So like, the carbs just need to be constantly, like, we, we need carbohydrates and they need to be resupplied. Um, on a regular basis. And if you, the more you train, the harder you train, the longer you train, now you're tapping into those, those stores at a much greater capacity. And so they need more replenishment. So this is why, like, if you have a long workout session or a really intense one, you know, you, your carbohydrate needs post-workout might be more than if you just did a pretty chill, like, you know, 30, 45 minute run, right? So you need to, you need to be adjusting your nutrition, especially on the carbohydrates. That's the most variable macronutrient or, um, piece of our nutrition from day to day that usually fluctuates the most is our, our carbohydrate intake. Um, but to answer your question, Kirk, sorry, I got sidetracked again. Um, but liquid carbs are very easy. You know, if you're drinking a tailwind or any type of like, um, just carb drink, like that's an easy way to get hydration in, right. Which is important in the morning as well, especially in the summer, like right now. You're going to be sweating a lot too. So I would just say like, you know, at the very least, if you're like totally opposed to eating something, start with just having a bottle of, of liquid carbs, you know, or like even applesauce pouch or, you know, a little bit of juice or, you know, and then you can work up to like, oh, maybe I'll have a piece of toast or I'll have like a Eggo waffle or, you know, it's just something with, you know, a fig bar, whatever, like something you can take, a granola bar, um, bowl of cereal. So it can be, it can, you can graduate, right? Is what I'm trying to say. Like you start with more liquids, then you mm -hmm. can build to more solids if you want to, um, you have capacity for it. And the part of that is just understanding like how soon, how close to your runtime can you get, can you eat and still have a good session and not have that, you know, any GI upset. And part of that, you just have to experience and trial and error and preferably before, you know, a big event. In turn, you then, talked earlier about if you don't want to give up certain foods, we're going to kind of hide them around opportune moments. Yes. Is the morning workout, pre-workout carb piece, is that the place where you would put the least importance on what you're getting as long as you get something? And maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but like, mm -hmm. is this the least important moment for what it's made up of? And it's most important to just find something you can get it in and then optimize along the way. Sure. I would say like before and like the pre-workout, especially the, in very close proximity. I mean, think about like the nutrition you're eating, like 20 within 20 minutes of your workout versus like intra workout fuel. They're very similar, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we eating it? Because we want our body to utilize that ASAP. So it really doesn't matter if it's coming from, 
you know, a pack of Skittles or if it's coming from a piece of white bread or if it's coming from juice, like that is all like, the reason we pick simple carbohydrates before a workout is so our body does not have to do, uh, go through a bunch of steps to break it down and turn it into sugar to use, you know, for, you, you know, use for fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, like, to, you know, to answer your question in a nutshell, yeah, I would say, you know, I don't think people necessarily like, you know, if someone loves, let's just go with Skittles, like, you know, start. They might not be able to appreciate the Skittles in the morning. Like maybe you went, and honestly, I've actually used that as a tactic where it's like <laughs> one just felt like the jelly beans were like a thing. And they were just like, I, I have this like really uncontrollable <laughs> relationship with jelly beans. I had her like count out a certain amount and like she would eat those every day before, like as her intra workout fuel or beforehand or even directly after. And then she got to a point where she's like, I don't even want these. Like, I don't even I don't really love these jelly beans anymore. Like I don't have that same relationship. I'm like, great. Well, you know, now we know if that is you. So, um, so yeah, but to answer your question, graphing, yeah, I think that's a good way to, to think of it. I suppose you could start a whole new way of reconditioning people, like make them fuel only with that for like a hot 50 miler. All right. You don't like that anymore. Great. Let's move on. Right. Well, I will, n- I refuse and maybe I will, but like the untapped maple syrup, I love maple syrup so much. It makes me so happy to eat maple mm-hmm. syrup that I'm afraid if I, if I try untapped and I'm like eating that as a intra workout carb source that I will ha- no longer have that excitement around maple syrup right. that I have. So I, just, I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> that exact thing happened to me. That exact no, my fears. Yeah. The maple dew guy. I got sent the maple, and it's so great. I, they sent the little 100-cal packets, and I started trying to take an intro workout. And first of all, my hands were a sticky mess, and everything I touched was just <laughs> disgusting, right? Because there's no way to keep it clean. But no, it, it actually changed it for me because maple syrup in its purest form is so pungent and strong, and maple syrup is wonderful when it's, I found, in addition to things. But when it's taken by itself, that is a... It's the equivalent of like lemon juice to me. It is like, wow, that just hit different. And now it's no more my favorite. So stay away. Well, I'm like torn because I really want to try it, but I'm just like, yeah. If it makes you feel better, I took one and just could not stand it during the workout. And I love maple syrup. It just, it was the wrong thing for what I wanted. So you're not missing out. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. I'm going to keep it as my pancake topper then. That's right. Kirk, you have four or five more so reactions? What, um, honestly, I could. Yeah, I could. But we need to get to listener questions too. But what – uh, why? The the question is why. Like why the heck does it matter? Like I've rolled on a bed, had two cups of strong black coffee, and nailed a long progression yeah. run in a, in a rare circumstance. Yeah. Most of the time I get up, I make my instant oats or my bowl of Lucky Charms or Cheerios with almond milk. That's what works well for me. And an hour later, I'm out the door and I have good energy. But at times, I've done it without, right? Like, just say yeah. the circumstances comes up. Like, what do you, why? What are people going to feel if they're properly fueled versus not? Like, for me, like, yeah. sometimes it feels like a little bit of the roll of the dice. And I'm sure it's not because of what I previously did the night before or whatever. Mm-hmm. But could you just, like, elaborate on that? Like, why? Like, why the hassle? If I don't want it, why, why should I have it if, like, I'm doing okay without it? Yeah. Well, and that, and you bring up a great point. And I think it's so important to think like, it's not just, it's not always just the nutrition that we consume immediately before a session, right? Like, like you said, if you could, you could be fasted for many, many hours, but if the days leading up to that, like you were eating enough and enough carbohydrate and you had again, stored carbohydrate, AKA muscle glycogen on board, like you're probably, your, your body's going to be just fine, right? It's probably not going to, you're probably not going to have that much stored muscle glycogen after a very long fasting, right? Like, you know, let's just say 
a 24 hour, 48 hour fast because like your, your body will pull from those stores. But, you know, it's so much more, you know, it's just like we don't carb load just the night before a race, right? It's not about the dinner the night before. It's about the days out from that race and consistency with that intake. And so I think so many people just think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever you did immediately before that. Um, and, and we know that that's not just the case. However, it's building good habits because if you are looking at like your long term, like most of us, you know, aren't just looking at a workout in the form of like just a single day, right? It's like we want to be able to work out and have hard workouts spaced out all along the week, right? And so maybe you have a really good single session and it didn't really matter because you just you had black coffee, didn't eat beforehand. But is the next day's session or if you're training later in that day, right, when it comes to multiple bouts or multiple sessions in a 24-hour period, now it really matters because you might not feel it for the first one, but you will definitely be in a hole for the second one. Um, so, and again, like if you've got, you know, if you're someone who's doesn't have a lot of intensity in your training, and this is like where I think good training programs make a big difference because it's like, you know, ideally, and you guys probably think this way, but like, you know, you have a couple hard quality sessions per week, but the rest shouldn't be, you know, the, the rest should be pretty chill. Maybe a lot of zone two, you know, your, your strength training that like you're going to, you're going to stack strength days, like either in between hard days, but normally like, unless you're trying to get something specific out of it, you're probably not going to like trash your legs in a strength training session in the morning and then do a compromised run session in the afternoon or flip that, right? Like you probably wouldn't stack those on the same day. And so part of it is like part of the reason why like active recovery days or really like easy zone two runs or full on rest days are so important is, and eating enough on those days is so important is because that is literally fueling, like refueling you for any underfueled days in the week and also recharging you for the upcoming, you know, your, your upcoming week of hard workouts. And that's why I'm not a big fan. And I will do it for some individuals depending on their goals. But for the most part, like rest days, lighter activity days are so critical for eating enough and eating that kind of same amount. Um, even as not necessarily like a really hard training day, but as like a regular training day because we have to replenish, we have to restore for the next the next couple of days of hard training. Um, and to be fair, like on a race day, like you're not going to, you know, we, we always want to put into practice what we're going to be doing on our big race day. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you do like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think most people are pretty like set on eating breakfast before race day and understanding the importance of that. And you're going to be waking up several hours beforehand anyway, or you might not sleep. So it's like eating enough food, but like, you can't just expect to rock your race day fueling if you don't practice that and have a really good strategy for mm-hmm. like that you put into play for your training days. Um, oh. So yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. So, so all that tracks, right? That all makes sense. It's all, there's science behind all that. But with all that being said, what do you do then for athletes who observe Yom Kippur or Ramadan, mm-hmm. things like that, where, I mean, your, your business gets big enough and you start interacting with people that are not in your little world and have things outside of your control. So mm-hmm. mitigating these circumstances, where does that begin? So I, I've worked with in clients on both holidays okay. and it is very like... It, it's a it's a, certainly a challenge, but you know you basically they have to fast from sunrise to sunset, mm-hmm. 
you know, they still are trying to train. And what we would have them do is like, you know, we're trying to train either close to one end or the other, right? Because one end you can have like a breakfast beforehand and then train, you've got food in you at least on the front end. Or if they train at the end of that fast, which would be pretty challenging because they've gone a whole like, you know, maybe 14, 16 hours of fasting and then they're asking to work, like doing a workout that's probably not going to be ideal, but at least they get a meal afterwards. So we're basically trying to fit their, you know, I, I, we're basically trying to fit their energy intake and they have to sleep, right? So they're fasting during the day, working, they have to sleep during the night. So we basically have a very short window of time in the morning and the evening to get enough calories in. So it's really hard. And obviously like the more they're training or working out, we're creating an even greater calorie deficit that we might not be able to make up mm-hmm. through. So usually like that's just a part, you know, that's a time frame for them where they're not, they're not performing very well, but they're also like scaling back a little bit on their, on their training <laughs> so that they're not mm-hmm. like putting themselves in a big hole, but we will work with that. And they will eat like as soon as the sun, sun sets, they will eat a meal and then they will have another meal like before bed and then they'll get their sleep and they'll wake up and have a meal. So we're really just trying to have like three meals in their day. Mm-hmm. sort of window. And then how do you bookend that? Obviously, it's different with a short observance versus a, you know, weeks long observance. But how do you bookend the before and after to come in and out of it as as well as possible? Like, how, how do you mean? Like with bookend? Like so let's say you're facing a 48 hour fast mm-hmm. or you're facing I can't between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. for days and days and days in a row. What are we doing for the day or 72 hours or week leading in? And then how do we come out of it on the other end so that we have like as close to homeostasis as possible without interrupting things? Yeah, probably honestly trying to trying to gradually conform to that new what that new eating schedule will be in those couple days beforehand because just going from like eating a breakfast, lunch, dinner on a, you know, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m., like, to then all of a sudden having to eat at, like, 4 a.m., and then, you know, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m., like, that's going to be a little bit different. So, like, and obviously sleep's a huge component of that, so trying to, like, you know, the sleep-wake cycle as well and trying to get, like, a little bit of their circadian rhythm to shift a bit mm-hmm. is is important. So just, like, and, you know, shift. I work with a lot of shift workers, too, where it's, like, you know, they're working at night, sleeping during the day, and I have the same approach where, like, we're trying to limit food intake during the dead night hours of the night, there's a lot of research on circadian misalignment, food intake, um, blood sugar spikes with the same level of nutrition taken in during the day versus the night can be completely like, extraordinarily different. So, um, you know, trying to like have a little bit of a game plan with their, their sleep and wake cycle and trying to fit in nutrition. So yeah, I would probably do like a, a segue a couple of days leading up to that um, to get their body adjusted to that um, slowly. And then, yeah, yeah, probably eating out of it. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like they'd probably be so excited to be able to eat during the day that the back end would be pretty. Takes care of itself. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting, that's definitely a a good question. I hope these listener questions don't go to waste because. Was that a listener question or was that just a bracket interested question? Yeah, that's that's with me. I I, I have a, uh, from time to time, I have a, a little clientele in the Middle East. And so you run into Ramadan a lot and then it happens to be some East Coasters, you know, the little Jewish community and they run into Yom Kippur and things like that as well. And so I deal with it from the training side of what are we going to try to get done during this time? But it's, I can only assume that it's equally, if not more important to nail the, the diet during that time, the fueling. 
Honestly, I would say, I would probably advocate that they work out in the morning, like have a big breakfast beforehand, like, you know, or as best they can get a good amount of protein beforehand, which normally isn't the case because people can just eat protein after their workout. But because they probably would work out and, and not be able to eat after that, getting a good amount of protein beforehand is going to be really key so that they can recover properly and have some of those resources to do that as opposed to just just not having not having anything till later that night. But. Right. It's tricky. And I always feel for these people like they're, they're not putting their faith aside. It matters to them. They're observing it, but their fitness goals don't go to the side either. And something has to give. Well, and that's where having like a realistic conversation, like, Hey, like if we can just maintain your fitness level during this time frame, like, let's, I think that'd be right. happy with that. Right. And so we're not probably not going to make some huge improvements during this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. My next question. And you can probably scold me for this advice that I give to my athletes. It's the same advice that I adhere to. I mean, it's my own advice, so I should be, you know, practicing what I preach. But I often have the conversation, like, what should I eat leading up to my race? Like, what should I? I have an ultra. I have a 5K. And I don't even care what the event is. I give the same answer. And so here's where you can tell me I'm right or tell me I'm wrong. I tell my athletes to eat no differently when it's really honestly a quality day or an easy day, because I think they need to charge up for the next one, so to speak, as you had mentioned, like keep, keep your caloric intake consistent. But the week of a race, I say, don't change a thing. I say, don't change a thing. Don't go eat 12 breadsticks the night before or oversaturate with a bunch of food because you need to carb up, which I think is silly. I believe that your reduction in volume should be enough of a balance shift in which you are going to go into your event glycogen saturated because if I know there's a taper or some sort of backing off of intensity and or volume that you shouldn't need to eat any more or differently than you are without a race coming up because the in quotes deload or taper should have you topped off regardless. Mm. Am I giving bad advice or do you, do you follow that to some degree? No, I just, to some degree, you know, and I'll point out some areas where I think we could, maybe improve upon that but um (laughs) very political way to say that thank you no so here's here's the thing obviously like you write your programming so like i work with individuals who work with so many different coaches on the training side of things so i you know so so you can say you know you know how many hard sessions there are you know how many easy sessions in a week you have and so you know for your athletes that might make sense of having like keeping everything the same on light days versus heavy days um, you know, some of the individuals I work with, they might have a lot of light days, but have like two heavy days and they're spaced out. And, you know, and, and so we might have, again, let's say it's someone who wants to focus on performance, but also has body composition goals and, you know, is in a, is working out hard, but still like we're trying to create a little bit of a deficit on days where it doesn't matter as much. Um, then I might actually, you know, I I probably will have a lower day macro set or a lower day target goal and then have a heavier day for their longer. Which makes sense. And I'm coming from a position of, and and, right. And I'm not going to defend myself, but I'm going to defend myself. (laughs) Is that in the position of, I'm assuming that weight maintenance is the goal, right? Like, but you're, you're totally, which I agree with you on, but continue. Yes. I'm I'm coming from a privileged position of being happy with my composition. Sure. Sure. Um, so, and then also like on heavier training days, 
I would imagine for, for a, a lot of the individuals I'm working with and same with maybe you guys, like bigger effort days will probably be, will probably require some sort of intro workout fuel, right? Like if, it, if someone's running, especially in the heat of the summer, like, you know, 75, 90 plus minutes, like we're probably implementing some sort of carbohydrate goal to take in per hour during that session. And so that I never really add that, like that's always additional to the macro set or the calorie or target goal that we're trying to aim for because that's really just kind of helping them dig themselves out of the hole that they're creating by a longer session. Um, so I would say like if they're adding in intra workout carbs and then you're having them hit the same macros as like a easier day. Yeah. That probably will check out. That probably evens out. Um, but I do have some clients where we're learning to, you know, just for, like you said, kind of for maintenance, like where, you know, they don't want to be tracking long-term, but we're tracking right now to kind of get a better handle on intake. I do think being able to appreciate bigger portion sizes, maybe an additional snack on a day that's heavier, like a heavier training day, a bigger volume day is a good skill. And it's good for a long-term relationship with food and, and approach to nutrition. Because think about it, like if you're, if you're always training, you know, if you're thinking like every day needs to look the exact same, um, it, it could be we're on like bigger effort days. Let's say you just did like this huge mountain expedition or something. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. But like, oh, I can't eat more, you know, today because like every day has to look the same. Or like, you know, I don't want people to not be able to listen to their hunger cues if they are hungry and like need more fuel. And that being said, on days that are lighter, depending on the athlete's history, uh, right? If they have a history of injury um, and getting sick a lot of times and under fueling, sure. Then on light days, I might be like, hey, I still, I need you to hit these calories and it's really important that you eat enough. But if it's someone who's just like, hey, we've got a good history, been doing well, performing well, you know, maybe he wants to, change body composition a little bit. I think it's really important for them to be like, Hey, today's a light day. You don't need, you don't need like an, an extra snack today, or you can probably afford to cut down some of your carbohydrate intake or fat intake at certain meals just to offset some additional calories. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, on that front, but then on the race week, you're right. Like, you know, you are tapering. So you don't have, you know, you're, you're eating the same amount as you normally do with much less expenditure. So in that sense, you already are eating more than your needs. However, I would say the one thing, you know, if it's a very big event, obviously like carb loading, the amount and duration of carb loading and the extent I should say, um, really depends on the event you're training for. So if like you're doing a, you know, and we don't need to carb load for anything 90 minutes or less we have enough carbohydrate on board where that's not going to, that's really not, not going to be important. So really it's like, okay, we're getting into an hour and a half plus two plus hours. We're going to want to carb load a little bit, but a two hour event versus a five hour event versus a 15 hour event, like that carb load now becomes exponentially more important. Right. So, so it, it is, so it really just depends on what the, you know, what the event is, but there are carbohydrate targets, you know, anywhere from, six to 12 grams per kilogram of carbohydrate, um, which is a lot like, you know, I'm doing, doing math. Like, let's just go off of like a 150 pound person. So that's going to be. Bracken can do this off the top of his head. Bracken, what's a number? Six is a number. 410 <laughs> grams of carbs for six grams per kilogram. 
body weight, right, of, of carbohydrate. So on the low end. How far out? What are we talking? Of potentially like, does that mean carbo loading in your opinion? Yeah, I'd say, and again, right. like, you'll bring it out further. I would say it could be three to four days for a very big event. But, you know, for the most part, two to three days, um, you know, if you have something that's, you know, two plus hours, you know, give or take. So, um, but, but that's a lot, you know, and, and obviously for an individual who is getting nowhere, I always take into account what their current nutrition needs are. Because if someone's eating, you know, if we're working on building up calorie intake with an individual, and even though their needs are calculated to be this and we're not there yet, and that individual's still getting used to eating enough food. And let's say their carbs are at 200. Well, I'm not going to bump them up for a carb load on a taper day uh, or on a taper week for, to 400 carbs. Like that's just, it's, it's just not, they're not going to feel good doing that. Um, so, so yeah, so basically it, it matters, you know, the, the, how far out you start a carb load and how much carbohydrate you consume is going to depend on the event. But also here's where I do change up things regardless. It's like, just because you don't have to carb, maybe you don't have to carb load but you still carbohydrates are still a really important part of your day-to-day nutrition leading up to a race. So maybe you're not in a caloric excess, but you still need to have carbohydrates on board. So maybe what we do is we scale back um, protein a little bit and I'll probably do like, you know, two days out, I'll probably be, you know, especially if the individual's protein intake is pretty high, like a gram per pound of body weight or two grams per kilogram um, body weight. Like that's a, pretty higher like that's on the higher end of protein which is great on a day-to-day basis but when it's race week we need to maximize carbohydrates first and foremost so what i'll often do is i'll if someone is on the higher end of protein i'll shave that down a little bit give them put those you know put those calories towards extra carbohydrates we may depending on where their fat is we may decrease that a little bit to the same extent to make sure that we're maximizing you know, carbohydrates, maybe carbs on a normal basis are like 45 to 50% of their total intake. Well, we might make, we might keep the calories the exact same, but make that closer to like 60, 65%. So, and only for a couple of days. But yeah, that's another way to do it where like we're prioritizing carbs. We're not carb loading, keeping calories the same, but carbohydrate content goes up. So So to clarify, I'm giving average advice and 90 minutes or less, no real need. But when you go longer than that as a general rule of thumb, you may want to consider stocking up just a little bit, two to three yeah. days prior. Yeah. And Kirk, if you're happy being average, that's okay for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in this regard, I'm not, but I'm learning. So learning. I have one last one, Bracken. Do you have any anything? And I don't know how many questions we're going to have here, but last question I've got. I swear. Go for it. Usually I'm cutting you off, but um, Corinna Coffin's top hot top five hot tips before morning workouts, meaning top five foods uh, that you would recommend before people head out the door. Let's say they work out within an hour of getting up. What are your five favorites that people should go to that would be your favorite options? Okay. I like this question. Um, banana is a very easy one. Um, I say banana... We'll go I with. tell people, I'm going to stop you quick. Um, <laughs> with the banana, so I tell this to people, and I just say this because I heard it once, and I believed it to be true. And I tell them, listen, if you're worried about a banana upsetting your stomach, like typically if something in such a simple form is, uh, is that sort of like starch, easily digestible, like it's in and out of your upper 
GI, aka your stomach, within like honestly 30 minutes of emptying into there, it's pretty much on its way through already. Like if you're worried about something simple upsetting your stomach, like you can get away with something that's just a real pure form of starch. It's, there's no risk involved. So I just tell them like it's literally going to be in and out to where you won't even think about it within like 30 minutes. Yeah. Am I just yeah. making up stuff? No, that's the goal. I mean, all of these things that I'm going to list out right. are going to be foods that are going to be in and out very quickly. Like that's the whole objective of it, right? But is so, 30 minutes, is 30 minutes just a, something I'm making up or is it, there's some truth to that? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I couldn't, I, I probably don't have that exact answer, but it's like, but ultimately, you know, your body doesn't have to work, you know, there's high, high sugar content and low fiber content is what we're looking for before an event, right? Yes. Um, so that's, that's gotta be a pretty, you know, I, I would, I would, and of course, like, let's say you had three bananas, obviously like volume matters too. Um, that's going to take longer than just one banana, but yeah, like, so I would say 30 minutes is a good, I mean, again, like I'm someone I could be eating a banana on the way to the trailhead and be just fine. But like, I, you know, and, and not even have that, but, mm-hmm. but I, I do think like, that's where you have to pick foods that, you know, to sit really well and comfortably with yourself. And if that's not a banana, there's lots of other options, right? Um, like in, in the morning before okay, a workout, if I open my mouth towards a banana, I start to gag. And on race day, <laughs> if I smell a banana, I start to dry heave. <laughs> oh, you're like it's, it's it's horses for courses, right? It's finding the thing that's paired to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I would say, you know, banana is an easy one, though, out the door. Like, I'm thinking a convenience factor, too. But, like, a piece of toast. And I think it's, like, sour bread toast or sourdough bread is, like, easy on the stomach for a lot of people. Um, so, and it's not, like, a really, like, nutty, seedy bread, which, again, like, the more complex you get there, the more whole wheat focused. Like, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer to digest. So I just go with plain, like, you know, maybe sourdough or something. Um what else? Liquid options for people. I always think just like a, just like a bland piece of toast. Just here's a piece of bread. Get out the tiller. Are we talking know, like you can have your way with what's on? I actually do a little okay. bit of peanut butter and honey or, or peanut butter okay. and jam. Yeah. Um, like there's gonna be some poor person out there who's gonna just like make a piece of toast and take it out and be like, I guess. Yeah, they're gonna be like, great idea, Corinna. This is great. Like right. English muffin. English muffin's another good one. Like they're just so easy to um. They're just so easy to eat. And they're just nice and light and fluffy. Um, let's see, what else would be good? Like a granola bar or like a, a, a ser- like a what am I? Multi grain bars or like a fig bar. Those are really good options. Um, yo- like even yogurt with some honey in it, um, or like a little individual yogurt cup. I'm thinking like Greek yogurt, which might have a little bit extra protein. But if you're going on like a longer if you're doing something longer and want a little, you know, it's the first thing in the morning after an overnight fast, you haven't, you don't have any protein on board with you from, you know, being in this overnight fast. That's actually a great, you know, to have a little bit of protein in your pre-workout snack in that case is, can be really helpful or help prevent some of that muscle degradation. So, um, so yeah, maybe like a little, little yogurt with some cereal on top or, or honey or. Let's see how well Kirk knows me. What is my number one go-to before races and big workouts these days? The morning of or the... like mor- Yeah, like morning, morning stuff. Or even for races, anytime. This is now my primary. Last thing I eat. Aren't you, I don't know you that well then. I would say whatever leftover pizza you ate the night before. <laughs> no. no, I'm going to guess because I'm going to use context clues here and go with yogurt. <laughs> like... Or cottage cheese or... No, probably not cottage cheese. But like yogurt and cereal? I don't know. I just said... I, that's, 
Something yeah. was in January. Uncrustables. Baby food. I don't know. Oh. Ba- baby food pouches yeah. is my go-to. Huh. Really? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. When we started traveling with Brayden when he was like two or whatever, we needed plain snacks and you can just twist the top off and it retwisted. It's not messy. You just like a straw built in. And I looked on the back. I'm like, 120 calories. Okay. <laughs> Pop three or four of these things down the hatch before a big race. And I'm already set. Pop one or two of these in the morning. It's whole food. Oh yeah. I'm rocking this. And I tried it, and it was, it's palatable. When I when my nerves are firing or early in the morning when I don't even want to be awake, I can always stomach it. Yeah, that's um the baby food or apple and and like you know you could do those pouches. They can get kind of pricey, but just getting like a tub of applesauce or like mm-hmm. the little applesauce cups, um, mm. those are awesome. Like those are awesome, and um, yeah, just a great way to get some fifteen. All the dollar nineteen a pouch. Hmm. There you go. <sighs> Here you are, Aldi. Your little applesauce cups are like they're like two nineteen for a whole. It's true, but it's not as calorie dense. Mm. Maybe I can have two of them. and maybe maybe I should ask you what are your top five hot tips for breakfast? Obviously, you're some sort of expert. Oh, baby food, fruit snacks. Uh huh. Some more flavored pop tarts if I have a lot of time to digest. But okay. the sleeper pick. Uncrustables. Oh, I love, I love mm. uncrustables. Uncrustables are like 280 calories or 300, something like that. You're rocking it. They travel well. Baby food and uncrustables. Yeah. Just take yeah. me home. That's, that's a, it's, it's brilliant. That's a perfect, that's a perfect combo right there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Look, Bracken, you're not so bad. You're not so bad. <laughs> Give you small pieces. Ignore the big picture. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we was interviewed uh, John Elbin, uh, John Elbin a couple of times, and he had said he was on a kick. The last interview we had with John Elbin was uh, he would just walk around with like a pack of Haribo gummy bears and just eat like ten on the hour every hour the day before a race. And he said that was really keeping him topped off. And he said he felt pretty good on it, so he stuck with it. Like he did it randomly. He's like eating a bag of gummy bears randomly throughout the day on top of his other food. Do you condone that sort of eating? No, I mean, I think, I mean, again, at the end of the day, you got to get enough calories in and the calories are the most important. The carbs are the most important for a race. So if that's going to be some, some gummies, if that's going to be, and, and again, it's so counterintuitive before a race because you, you think like, oh, I got a high fiber, whole foods, complex carbohydrates. It's like, those are the things that can oftentimes cause the most GI upset on a race day. So having simpler options, even though it's so counterintuitive and like not how you might normally eat on a regular basis, like that, that's okay. Right. Where it's short term, usually, you know, 48 hours tops, you know, 48, 72 hours top beforehand, where you're just hacking in those carbohydrates, getting those glycogen stores maxed out. So, and I love gummy bears. (laughs) Well, you always think like, Oh, if you're having simple sugar, you worry about like a crash afterwards, so to speak. And if you're constantly putting sugar in, would that be like detrimental in some way when you wake up the next day and you're, you're on like a sugar hangover, like for example, that thought would cross my mind, but if that's not real, yeah, I wouldn't have that be a substitute for like eating meal, hearty meals and snacks throughout the day for sure. But if it's just to top, top stuff off, get you know a little bit here and there, especially, you know, having a sim- very simple carb, but added with a little protein and some fat, like that's going to have a completely different impact on your blood sugar levels than, than consumes alone and, and individually. So, um, so that's something to keep in mind too. 
some gummy bears can fit as a side dish in your <laughs> in your meal or snack. Kurt, I'm not misremembering that, am I, Bracken? Didn't he say no, that? that's in, and I was thinking no, about that earlier. He just wants to keep yeah. an IV drip of carbs topped off as he burns through a little bit throughout the day the day before. And his stuff is all what? Like, what's the shortest race we've seen him do in the last few years? Like, two hours? Two hours. He's doing five-hour, six-hour stuff where he's grinding in the mountains at altitude. So I think the bigger it is, the more leniency you have for yeah. just get the it in. Is, the bigger it is, you just you need more. And, and, and however you need to get that, and that's the thing, is like it's really hard to – eat enough and carb load especially with food, whole foods like if you're not relying on beverages and some processed foods like good luck hitting you know that low end for 150 150 pound person like 400 grams of carbs without letting without your fat and protein also going way up like that's a that's a really hard that's a really hard thing, thing to do it takes a lot of planning i always have my clients regardless of whether they're tracking or not on a carb loading couple of days i have them pre-log it like hey let's make a game plan of like let's get the high carb foods in it for your meals and snacks log it let's try it and get to this number you know x y and z number and uh we have to fine tune a little bit we have to like sometimes i had one client she just felt so sick because she we had a carb goal for her but she also in reaching that carb goal her protein was through the roof her fat was way higher and she ended up eating like so many additional calories because the carb goal was so high and we were like whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to keep the carb goal high but 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 keep protein a little bit lower fat a little bit lower you know and so because the priorities on carbs and so that was a game changer for her when we did that and we planned it in advance so we could kind of it wasn't like what am i gonna eat next on you know the day before your race that makes a lot of sense yeah. kirk i have a proposal for you I have a proposal for you. Okay. Let's say that at that same time. You <laughs> you proposed first. You proposed first, so go ahead. Uh, well, you proposed most recently. Did you really? Do you know we're one week away from a wedding? Yeah. And I'm in it? I get married next uh, Saturday, yeah. Wow, that's so exciting. No, he was a sympathy ask. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you. You that extra number. Thank you. So I've got this work guy I, I feel like I need yeah. to invite to the wedding. <laughs> All right, so here's my proposal. Sure. We've got like 56 questions here. I never intended to give all 56, but I could dispel them down to like, or discern down to like the good ones and the bad ones, or ones that we could hit with lip service. What I can't do is take them down to like three or four really good ones because I'm the wrong man for the job, but I'm the one holding it. So I propose we don't do Q&A at all. We're already at almost two hours. We we have, just, we're out of time. We got three minutes left tops. Right. So here's what I want to do. So we can't even do it. Kerna's first comment is that people laughed and said, uh-oh, Bracken's <laughs> going to be talking about nutrition. So here's what I want to do. I think the worst, the only <laughs> thing worse than not having a plan is having a flawed plan that you believe is not flawed. So I'm going to give you all the information in 60 seconds about what I do and why I do it to a dispel the myths about my horrendous diet out there and B give you two minutes to eviscerate it. And then we wrap. How do you wow. feel about that? Kirk? Great. <laughs> we got four, four, four minutes, four to nine minutes tops. Then I got to get to clients. In the well, I, I excel at brevity. So, so here, here we go. All right. You have, yeah, you have 70 floor elevator to ride. Go. All right. So first of all, need to know about me. I don't struggle to get calories in. I do not struggle to eat afterwards. I am not under fueled. And so I, my belief is that if an athlete is not under fueled, 
perfect nutrition compared to good is not really a performance enhancer, but good to bad is a performance reducer. So I don't think I'm le- that most people who are properly fueled have huge gains waiting for them, but they have a huge pitfall waiting for them if they do it poorly. I also believe that I am not an addictive personality, but I have an obsessive personality who then loses interest on things. So I tend to get stressed or too all in on something, and then it'll leave a vacuum when it leaves. So following more specific rules and regulations and counting things is stressful for me, and I would get too far into it, and then I would lose it completely and be worse than I started. So in my convoluted rationale, I'm getting enough calories. I enjoy carbs. I'm not struggling for that. So I would rather try to be a quote unquote, I don't even like the term, but I guess I'd be labeled as an intuitive eater. I'm a happy eater. And since I'm not stressed by it, I don't have the negative consequences of overthinking it or floating in and out of adherence to it. And so I eat what I want when I want, and I try to give my body what I think it's asking for. I don't give other people advice because I believe that I don't know enough about it, and so I don't address it. I don't think it's unimportant, but I don't think you have free gains that are just going to appear, but I think you can hurt your gains by not doing well. So there you go. Or potentially hurt what, like, or potentially experience a performance decrease, decrease. by trying to take it up a notch. And, or, you know, and it might not even be a performance decrease, but like, like you said, it's going to maybe tarnish your relationship with your, your food and make right. things not as fun anymore. And like the, 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 the risks or the, the cons outweigh the, the, the benefits in that sense. Which like I know is flawed logic, but it's like, uh, no, but it, I get my calories. I like food. I like eating frequently. I'm not going to push myself into a potentially unstable position by messing with it, but it doesn't mean I devalue other people's. I'm just not going to talk to you about it because I'm the wrong yeah. source. So that's, that's my great. overarching theory. Yeah. But I also I, I, know that a professional would say we can do better. Well, here's my take is that I don't do macro tracking with every individual I work with. And that's, I feel very strongly about understanding an individual's relationship and history with food and their body and what they're trying to achieve. I work with a lot of people who have a negative or or a very um, challenged relationship with, with food over the years. And so that's a, that plays a huge role in um, how we go about addressing their nutrition. So Bracken, if you were like, hey, Corinna, I know I'm leaving, you know, there's there's potential out on the table and I know I For not sure. max, but here's my, here's where I'm at with nutrition. I really enjoy the food. Well, everything you just said, I'd be like, all right, Bracken, like let's discuss how we might, how, how we could potentially ad- go about food to in that same capacity, no tracking, like maybe we're, Maybe, you know, and that's the hard part is like, obviously as a coach, like I want to have eyeballs on what you're doing. I would Um, have to track early on. I understand that. Or, or maybe it's, um, you know, I have, you know, my coaching portal, like I have a built in food journal where you can take photos of your meals and submit them. And like, you know, for your meal, it's like you track, there's no tracking. You're just like, oh, here's what I'm eating now. And you log it under breakfast and then same for lunch and dinner. So I can see what you're eating without us needing to know numbers Ooh, I like and that. calculations. And I could be like, Hey, Bracken, mm. look at this meal right here. Tell me like, what do you identify here? Like what's going through your brain as you're picking this out? 
And you would have I, a hard time identifying what my meal is a lot of the time. <laughs> but like, you know, it's good for you because then you might look at it and be like, you know, like, hey, let's like, we see a lot of the same colors or do we see like a lack of color or maybe we see a, you know, or what do you notice about this meal? Like before your workout, if we're just focusing on pre and post workout, like, you know, what could we, what's missing here? What, what can we add or what can mm-hmm. we do? So I, I, you know, I'm not a macro based coach and I think it's okay. helpful to be, you know, when you're an individual, like when you work one-on-one with, with individuals, like you have to be willing to meet them where they're at and come up with a game plan that works for them. And that's not going to tarnish that relationship and is going to only elevate, you know, them from where they're at now. So that is something that like, you know, that, that you don't always see in coaches and sometimes just like, well, this is what I do. And so this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, this person just has like, has history of an eating disorder and we're not just, you know, I'm not going to have you track your food, you know, and count mm-hmm. calories and go right back into that, um, that kind of cycle. Again. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, I think that flexibility in any coach is the only way to reach non-professional athletes. Sure. Absolutely. Kirk, we overstay our welcome. I would like to have, uh, no, I, we're good. Um, selfishly, I would like to have like a follow-up, just like a rapid fire Q and a with Corinna with these Great Almost questions. like a training I'm Tuesday. Sure. I don't know what to do with them, but oh, I don't want to. We'll follow up at, uh, off mic with that, maybe, Corinna. Yeah. Um, because you've been so gracious with your time and knowledge, I want to make sure that um, people know uh, how and where to find you and what services you provide and all of that stuff. So could you give me the rundown on uh, that before we wrap here? Can. Yeah, so um, on my I, – I have a website. It's therdathlete.com. Um, RD for registered dietitian. The amount of messages I get of like, I wonder what the RD stands for, <laughs> or like, you know, like some of them have been very interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, registered dietitian RD. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm the RD athlete or the underscore RD underscore athlete. I'm I'm pretty active on social media. You can message me on social media. Um, and slide into my DMs and we can link up on a, you know, a link up to touch base. I do have a link in my bio on Instagram where you can just apply for, to, to work with me. And really it's not really an application. It's just, Hey, I need it. Like I want some context on like what you're looking for, who you are, what your goals are before we hop on a discovery call or connect via email. So you can fill that out and I'll get back to you via email on that. And um, yeah, I offer, so most of the things, right now is one-on-one um nutrition coaching i do work with and i've i've thought about doing it and talking with you guys about doing some a little bit of a nutrition collab doing a group you know offering some group coaching like taking some of your athletes and and doing offering that so that's uh we can chat about that another time but i do Mm -hmm. do some group stuff but for now i'd say for the most part i've got mostly one-on-one and i've got different tiers different levels of coaching based off of you know budget and how much um communication and what type of communication we have, um, whether it's phone-based, online only, all that good stuff. So try to be really flexible and work and, and, and have options that uh, work for all different all different goals. And so yeah, so hit me up. Let's have a have a combo. Wonderful. Well Kirk's Perfect. athletes might be interested in that. Yeah. Mine are taken care of. They're fine on that front. You don't have to worry <laughs> about them. Under mm. under Bracken's nutrition tutelage, they are just thriving and and yep. uh eaten well. We do the the double T approach, tortilla chips and tortillas. (laughs) Love it. You might want to trademark that. 
I got to come up with a third T. I don't know what it is. Tailwind. There, there you are. go. Need mm. a beverage. All right. So if people want to reach out to you, they can either they go to the website and there'll be a contact you area or there's an application on your Instagram handle I saw. The also thing I really like about you is, you know, the practice what you preach model, I believe, you know, you very much practice what you preach. I think I think if you're going to hire anybody, I think you should want them to practice what they preach, live their truth and help you do yeah. the same with it. And if it's regards to food or running or whatever, I think you do a really good job of that. So, well, so thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys. This was a lot of fun and uh, went by very quickly. So, and I'm totally down for a follow up. Um, would love to get to some of those Q and A's. So, Sweet. yeah. Thanks, Karina. 